Okay, uh, can you hear me? Is this on? Good. Uh, if you open to, you can open your Bibles to Genesis one. We are continuing our study uh, through knowing God, and we've come to God's purpose in creation. And we took sort of a little bit of an excursus once we got to that, and just discussed. The, or are discussing the wide array of views that are out there on Genesis 1, particularly Genesis 1 and 2, uh, the cre- typically referred to as the creation account. Now, the last time we were together, which was for the purpose of Bible study, was a few weeks ago. We had a couple weeks of the convention and then business meeting and several other things so uh, the first time, the, the last time we were together, what we talked about was creationism, uh, typically the, the, the young, called the young earth view of creation. We kind of went through Genesis 1 and 2, discussing how a young earth creationist would read Genesis 1 and 2, how they would understand the text that's in front of them. And, uh, and, and before that, we laid out so you can go back online. These are all online. You can go download them if you missed any of these. But before that, we, we laid out the, the things that a Christian must believe in order to be considered orthodox. And the way we understand that is because as we look across the scope of Christian history of the last 2,000 years, you can see the commonality over the last 2,000 years of things that have always been believed everywhere, always and by all. So people have agreed on these on certain matters, namely that God created everything out of nothing. That's very clear all the way back to even the first century. It's very clear that he created uh, man out of the dirt and created woman from man. That's been widely attested for the last 2,000 years. Um, there have been uh, a consistency on, on, on a myriad of issues like that. Uh, we discussed that first, and then once we went into young earth creationism or creationism, we talked about the, the typical reading of Genesis 1 and 2 as a young earth creationist, and there's, there's still a myriad of views even as a young earth creationist. There's, there's those that believe it's 6,000 years old. There's those that believe it's somewhere in the neighborhood between 10 and 20,000 years old. And so we kind of went through how they would approach the scriptures and how they would read the scriptures in light of that particular view of creation. Today we come to, or tonight we come to, progressive creationism, typically referred to as old earth creationism. So what I want to do, what I aim to do, is really go through mostly Genesis 1, because when it comes to Genesis, excuse me, the bulk of Genesis 2, a young earth and an old earth creationist are going to interpret Genesis 2 largely the same. So we went through that last time. I'll briefly talk about it this time, but mostly what I want to focus on is Genesis 1 and how we would go through the scriptures and read this and how old earth creationists or progressive creationists would interpret um, Genesis 1 and 2. Now, one of the reasons why it's really difficult, and this is kind of sometimes hard to wrap your mind around, especially as you're reading the English text, one of the reasons that it becomes pretty difficult to, uh, to, to nail down a specific view on Genesis 1 and 2 is because there are some ambiguity in the Hebrew words. And sometimes it's hard to know how to take those words, how we understand those words. As an example, these aren't the only ones, but I've got them listed there for you. This is just a review. We talked about this a few weeks ago. But the word earth can also mean land. And so sometimes it's difficult to understand how that how we should interpret that. Context is really the one that determines. Um, the word for made usually means to make something to, or to make from something. So it's to something that's already existent. It makes it from that. Um, but it also can mean create in some cases. And so how do we know if he made it from something that's already there or he created it? Now, the, the first word that's used there in Genesis 1.1 in the beginning, God created is a totally different word. That means to create out of nothing. So we know that he created it out of nothing, but then when we get down further, there's some times where the word made appears, and most of the time that is that could mean made from something else, or it could mean um, created. So we have to make a determination there. Um, the word for day, it can mean a 24-hour process, or it can mean a much longer uh, period of time. And so 
those are just a few examples of some ambiguity in words, and we have to really think through and try to understand what the author is really getting at. Well, progressive creationism is also called old earth creationism, and there's one thing that we have to understand before we even go into it. This view rejects unguided and God-guided evolution. The view that I'm going to lay out for you will reject both God-guided and unguided, unguided and God-guided evolution. So God-guided evolution, or sometimes called theistic evolution, would be uh, here's one cell that starts to evolve, and God steps in occasionally and goes, okay, and just gives it a little nudge to the left, and it becomes a parrot or something, and then gives this one a little nudge to the right, and it becomes you know, a monkey or whatever. Uh, this view, old earth creation, is going to reject all of that. So that's not what we're talking about. I just wanted to lay that out there because sometimes when you talk about old earth creationism, people immediately go to Darwinian evolution or even theistic evolution, and that's not at all what we're talking about. So this is simply saying that the earth is, is older. Um, this view is also called progressive because it sees God's activity in creation as occurring in a progression over a long period of time. Sometimes the word progressive in our culture can take on a political context that's, that sometimes feels negative to audiences. <laughs> and I wanted to clarify, that's not what progressive creationism means. It's not liberal, all right? That's not, that's not the word that I mean. Um, this is simply looking at the course of creation and God building layer upon layer very slowly. He's progressing creation along. Um, and so the, the view here is that God really perfected each level of the environment before he added the next higher level. So he's laying on one level and it's, and it's, it's taking time to solidify, become perfect, and then he puts on the next level to it. And as we go through this, what you'll see in creation, maybe you've never looked at it this way before, but you'll see that, um, that each layer is sort of built on the one that came before it. And so uh, uh, a progressive creationist is going to emphasize that a lot. Now, the thing that is really interesting about this particular view is that it, re- it, it requires very little translation adjustments. So there's some views where you go in, you say, well, that word has to be translated like that. That word has to be translated like that. You got to translate all those words like that. And when you do that, a lot of people kind of go, all right, that's a lot of bad translations. I'm, I'm out, right? Well, the good thing I think about this view, or the very positive view, uh, or positive thing about this view is that as you go through it, it really takes a pretty straightforward reading of the text. There's not too many times where you look through Genesis 1 and 2 where an old earth uh, creationist would have to say, yeah, but you can't translate any of that like that. It's got to be like this. Instead, they take a pretty straightforward reading of the text and, and lay it out there. Most of it is interpretive. It's mostly interpretive. It's more, how do you understand that? And a lot of it has to do with the word day, meaning a longer period of time instead of a 24-hour period. That's most of what it is, but not, not exclusively. Um, does that make sense? Any questions on that before I go forward, laying out this view? All right. So what we're going to do is we're going to read a section by section through Genesis 1, and just I'm going to discuss very briefly how uh, an old earth creationist would look at that passage. Um, so Genesis 1, 1 to 2, who will read that for me? All right. Now, some there's some old earth. Uh, there's a there's a section of old earth people. Uh, that that doesn't sound right. <laughs> there's a section of old earthers um, that hold to what's called the gap theory. You've probably heard of the gap theory before, but some will hold to the gap theory. And what it says is that there's a span of uh, of an unknown length of time between either Genesis 1, 1, and 1, 2, and or Genesis 1, 2, and 1, 3. 
It could be a, a gap of time between, the, between both, either or, or you know, e- either or both. And so um, in that period of time is where they would say Satan's fall was. And if you think about this from an old earth perspective, they're looking at creation. And if you're going from a young earth perspective, God pretty much blazes through creation. I mean, there's no other way to say it, but he, in seven days, everything is there. And so he's blazing through creation, and old earth creationists are going, okay, but what, what about all this other stuff? What about the fall of Satan? It happens somewhere, right? It's got to happen at some point in time, doesn't it? And, uh, and so the old earth creationists would say, probably it happens somewhere in here. That between Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and there could be a period in there of untold amount of time. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Now, in this view, what happens then is Satan falls and, is, and, and basically is responsible for the destruction of the earth. The earth being formless and void and darkness being over the face of the deep. That's the idea that they're presenting. And so what happens then from 1, 2, and following is that God is restoring creation after the gap. So he's coming in, and when he's creating, he's restoring creation after the gap. And and what's interesting about the gap theory is that if that were true, and there were a large enough gap there, then the days that follow after this, 1, 3, and following, could be 24-hour periods. They could be longer ages, or they could be 24-hour periods, just depending. But um, they could be 24-hour periods of time. So the, the downside to the gap theory, I think, is probably the biggest criticism of the gap theory, is it's largely an argument out of silence, right? And so technically, when you have something like that, well, I could really say anything happened, <laughs> and, I could say aliens inhabited the world and built the pyramids and then left, and I would have really just as much evidence as, as, as they do in, in that. Now, uh, obviously, there's good debates and conversations, and um, certainly the absence of text doesn't necessarily rule it out entirely, but I would say that's, that, that would be one weakness uh, of the gap theory. So now let's look at one, three to five. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning on the first day. Now I want to, if I can, try to help us get our, our minds wrapped around the way an old earth creationist would think through the text. Uh, Mother's Day was just a few weeks ago, and I decided that, well, actually, I talked to my son. He's five, or he was five at the time. He's now six. And I said, uh, Grayson, we got to do something for mommy on Mother's Day. What do you want to do? We, we can bake her something. What do you want to make her? And he said, cheesecake is her favorite thing, so we're going to make her cheesecake. And I said, all right, buddy, we're going to make her cheesecake. So I don't know if y'all found the tasty videos on Facebook. Those are the greatest things in the world. <laughs> I have wasted some time watching some tasty videos. So I get on the little tasty videos and I'm looking for, for some reason they help me think through a recipe. It's just better. Um, and so I'm, I'm looking for a good cheesecake recipe and they make a like 95 layer cheesecake that looks amazing. All right. And so I decide I'm going to, I'm going to, take a stab at this. And so I, I let Grayson watch the video and I said, buddy, we're going to make this for mommy. And he said, okay. And this is the night before. All right. So he goes, he goes, he goes, uh, well, when are we going to make it? And I said, well, tomorrow I'm going to come home from church and we're going to start it. And he goes, he's five years old. He goes, you sure we shouldn't do it tonight? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, nah, we got it. I got all the stuff. It looks easy on the tasty video. They do it in a minute and 30. So I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure we can do it really quick. It's not bad. Uh, so here's the process. Here's what this, this cheesecake was like. First, you take brownie mix, two boxes of brownie mix, and you make the brownie mix, and you put it in the spring form pan. 
and you send the brownie mix all the way up the side of the springform pan and you bake it. And then after it's baked, then you cool it. And then you bring it out after, it, after it's cooled and you put Oreos on the bottom on top of the brownie and you pour cheesecake on top of that. You put it in the oven and you bake it. And then you take it out and you put it in the fridge to cool. Once it's cooled, you take it out, you put Oreos on top of that. And then, this is the best part, you put a massive chocolate chip cookie on top of that and you bake it again. Then you pull it out and you cool it until it's cold. So when we ate it at midnight, um, (laughs) and it was still warm, (laughs) we ate it pretty late in the evening. It wasn't quite midnight. It was pretty late. And uh, it was still a little bit warm, but it was, it was pretty good. <laughs> and we ate on it for several weeks after that because you could only have about that much of it before you were, you were dying. Um, <laughs> when you think about, I know that's a long story, but when you think about old earth creationism, the way a, a, an old earth creationist would think through Genesis is much like baking that cheesecake, that God would say, let this happen. And then he waits for it to finish happening, right? Waits for it to form and solidify, congeal, harden, whatever. And then he takes it out and cools it. Let this happen, right? And then after it's cooled, take it out and let this happen now, right? So that's, that, as you go through Genesis, that's how they're trying to wrap their mind around what's transpiring in Genesis 1. Now, so the... the Typical old earth, let's not talk about the gap theory, but typical old earth creationism is going gonna, is gonna to argue that verses 1 and 2 depict all of creation as really this kind of empty gas cloud. Just an empty gas cloud. So God says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and pow, it's sort of this, this like uh, kind of a ball of gas, as it were, that's kind of sitting there in his hands. And then uh, God then expands it and light bursts forth in three, in three to five, in verses three to five. So he expands this and there comes light. Now, put a pin in that, that light is here in existence. One of the reasons that's important is because plant life comes about later on and then sun, moon, stars come after it. So that becomes problematic for someone that believes in long days, right? But what he's saying here is that light is already here. And what, what's also clear is that there was evening and morning on the first day, right? It says that in verse 5. There was evening and morning on the first day. So we already have an evening and a morning on the first day. So it's obvious that that light has a function of delineating evening and morning. So it's not like there's an absence of light. It's not like there, there's, you know, there's not light shining on creation in, in some respects. Now, the Hebrew literally reads, and there was evening and there was morning one day. Think about that for just a second. The ESV, the NIV, a lot of translations read, and there was evening and there was morning on the first day. That would seem to imply that Everything that proceeded before verse 5 is the first day of creation. But that's not how it actually reads. How it actually reads is there was evening and there was morning one day. That, that can change things a lot. Moses, who we believe wrote this down, could have used what's called an ordinal number, an order. First, second, third, fourth. He could have used an ordinal number there. It's very easy to. He knows the word. But he doesn't. He uses the word ahad, which means one. There was evening and there was morning one day, which means that that could have technically happened at any moment after God created the heavens and the earth. Does that make sense? You understand what I'm, what I'm saying? What I'm getting at there? Okay. All right. Now let's look at one, six to eight. Any questions on that so far? So you're saying Go ahead. I'm saying the most natural reading is one day. Yes. Um, now, there are very few instances where a hod is used without the word the before it. 
where it means first. And in this case, it doesn't have it. So the most natural reading would be one day instead of the first day. That being said, Hebrew is known as a really uh, flexible language. <laughs> so uh, as my Hebrew professor used to say in college, um, there's only one rule in Hebrew. And no, it, he, there actually is one rule in Hebrew. And then he would say, but it doesn't always follow that one rule. <laughs> and so <laughs> Hebrew has a lot of flexibility to it. And so it, it still wouldn't, even if you were to be young earth and you were to try to answer that, that you know, answer an old earth creationist, he wouldn't just have a, you know, a, a kind of a nail in the coffin right there with that argument. I mean, Hebrew is a little bit flexible. And I, I haven't looked, but I'm pretty sure you could probably find it somewhere in Scripture where it has to mean first, right? But um, I'm sorry to... go ahead. No, ask another question, please. You're saying everything that precedes that. So you're saying everything before that, like the, could be all like the one day. Yeah, so the, the idea, if, it, if it's the first day, then that seems to imply that everything before it all happened on the first day. In the beginning, God created heavens and the earth all the way to, uh, and there was evening and morning on the first day. Like, that, that all happened. But if it's one day, then that would seem to give a little bit more flexibility to the idea of a substantial gap that could be there, right? That, that's, that's some of the ambiguity that's in the text that says well, it could mean this. The NASB, I think, is the one that translates it one day. So if you have an NASB, you have an NASB? NASB sticks very close to Hebrew and Greek, as close as it possibly can to the point where sometimes it's hard to read. But it, it's, um, yes, people that have the NSB, you know what I'm talking about. Um, so sometimes it gets hard to read, but it sticks very close to the language and tries to make little interpretation there. And so it, it has one day, and you'll see that reflected in that translation. Yeah. Um, all right. So 1, 6 to 8. Who will read that for me? And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from, from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. Okay, so, so here the idea is that God is beginning to give the earth an atmosphere. He's beginning to give the earth an atmosphere. He's putting an atmosphere on it. And, of course, the way that they're looking at it is that there's nothing that necessitates him having to give that atmosphere in 24 hours. It could be over an extended period of time. And there's some points as we go later on where you're going to see that there are some, there are some uh, I guess, some uh, aces that, that an old earther has in his pocket. And you'll, you'll see them here play out in the text. But So he's, he, they're saying he, he's starting to give the earth an atmosphere. So it's, it's cooling, let's say, all right, the, 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 the cooking. It's, it's starting to cool. And the earth is having an atmosphere. And so in this view, when it says, and there was evening and morning on the whatever day, it, it really becomes a way of transitioning to the next creative work. So this work happens, and then it says, and there was evening and morning basically that day, and he goes on to the next creative work. So it's, it, the picture is him layering it. Like that cheesecake, right? It's, he's building the first layer, and he's waiting on it to finish doing its baking. And then he begins doing the next work of creation. And it, it, it transitions to the next thing. Uh, look at, let's look at 9 to 13. 1, 9 to 13. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit, fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, Plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning on the third day. Now, there's a couple things that I want to point out here. Look, um, so there's really two sections to this day, the third day. First is verses 9 and 10. You see that there. Um, this passage is basically describing the way an old earth 
person looks at this, this passage is describing the, the geological process. The geological process where the plates under the earth crust are slowly beginning to take shape. So that's what God is really creating here. And what happens as a result, land begins to come up out of the water and form, and then the waters collect into their body, and land begins to collect into its body. Now, the interesting thing here, and I think a a good point that a progressive creationist makes, is in the next section there, 11 through 13. This is the first time, if you look at what it says in verse 11, and God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, so plants are yielding seed, uh, fruit trees are bearing fruit. So here's, a, here's an oak tree bearing acorns, right? And, and he's, he's created this oak tree out of nothing. Here's the cherry tree over here. He's created this out of, out of nothing. And it says there in verse 11, at the very end of verse 11, and it was so, right? So he's created it and it happened. There they go. They sprung up. But this is the first time in this narrative so far, starting in verse 12, where it says the earth brought forth something right? Like the earth resumes the creative process. The first time, it's not the only time, but it's the first time it comes to that. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its own kind. And God saw that it was good. So the implication there, there, the, the argument they're making is what it's saying, God brings forth the cherry tree, but then he steps back and waits. And the cherry tree drops its cherry and the pit goes into the earth and then there comes up another cherry tree, right? Now the earth is bringing forth its vegetation. It's replicating the vegetation that he started. So that's the argument they're making that, hey, proof of the longer day, if you want proof, is that here's the vegetation beginning to bring forth its own vegetation. It's replicating. And he's stepping back and waiting until it does its work. Now, this isn't the only time he'll, it'll do this. It does this with, he does with the sea as well. Just, uh, but just wait. Does that make sense, though? W- what he's saying there? Uh, the argument? Go ahead, David. It's only because he named earth and sea in verse 10 that he uses the term. Okay. So that doesn't tell me that it's waiting on it to grow new trees year to year. I don't know if I understand the point that you're making. I'm not sure I understand it. So if I said, if I said, if I said what seems to be implied is that he creates an oak tree and then the oak tree then begins to bring forth its, its own vegetation, replicate, in other words, Be, create a forest is basically what I'm saying. He began by saying the reason, reasoning sprung from the fact that this is the first time they're using the term earth. Oh, 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 because you were referencing my, my saying that it was the first time it's used. Yeah, that, that, I mean, that's an ancillary point, I think, that, it, that it's the first time it's used. It could have been the second time it was used, but it's still saying the same thing. It, at least that's the argument that they're making. That's all I'm saying, is that they're saying, look, it looks as though once that vegetation comes forth, then it begins to replicate its own vegetation. It, it's replicating. Uh, we'll see this of the fish of the sea and the birds of the air in a minute as well. Um, you go. go ahead. <clears throat> I haven't checked them all. I know second day does. It does. But the difference is when you get to two and three and on, those typically have the lex of either um, two or second. That's not true of of one. Uh, There's two different words. One uh, is one, and then there's one for first. So, um, again, Hebrew is flexible. The word achad... Can, can mean first, if, particularly if it's preceded by the, the definite article. In this case, it's not. And so that, that would kind of say, well, maybe, right? Does that make sense? That's, yeah. Any other questions? Good questions. All right. Um, where are we at? 14. 114. Um. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, 
And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light, <clears throat> the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning on the fourth day. Now, the argument being made here by a progressive creationist would say that God here in this scene is not creating one light or the sun, moon, and the stars. He's determining their function. Particularly because he says, uh, uh, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day. Like the point is that this is their function. The lights are here going to separate the day from the night. And let them be signs for the seasons and for the days and for the years. And let, the light, and, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. So even if he was taking that light that was originally there in creation and shaping it into a sun, the light, the premise is that the light was already there to begin with. And he's now basically determining its function and how it will work with the rest of the earth. That, you understand what I'm saying? The argument that's being made there? <laughs> no, not at all. I don't, not any evolutionist I know would be happy with this at all. Um, so, no. Yeah, um, I mean, the premise is that he, he speaks it and, it and it begins to form. He sets it in motion, in other words. That, that is the premise of the argument, yeah. But totally different than an evolutionary worldview. I mean, not only when we get to the creation of mankind and, and animals and things like that is it going to be really different, um, but I don't know any, particularly any materialist that's going to want to say God did any of this at all. Um, so that would be one tremendous difference. But especially when we get to the creation of mankind, he's going to say created out of the, out of the dirt instantaneously, really. Yeah, go ahead, David. Well, most old earth people that I know would say they would agree with whatever the modern interpretation is of the age of the earth. 13.7 billion years? Sure, fine. There, there's really not, I don't think any of them are dogmatic on this has to be how old it is, but just that it's, that fine, it's old. You know, if, if everybody's testing the earth and they say, okay, it's, that we think it's 13.7, that's fine, 13.7. If they say it's, Tomorrow, if they said, well, it's actually only 50,000 years old, fine, it's 50,000 years old, right? It's more that they don't necessarily have a strong opinion on that one way or the other, just whatever is widely agreed upon the age of the earth, that's fine, yeah. Which we'll talk about in a minute of how we can understand this and kind of get along <laughs> if we disagree with that position, yeah. Good question. We can't play that Probably not the best way to get along, I don't think, but, uh, right. Uh, so it, it, he's not creating, but he's determining their function. And here's another point that's that being made, is that the stars are created, and it would appear as though starlight is visible in spite of the great distance that the light has to travel. This is one uh, big argument that someone in favor of an old earth position would make about creation, is that you have a star that's, you know, billions of light years away, and you know, there's several stars that have just recently appeared to us, so uh, there's a star called Sirius that has appeared in the sky something like 31 years ago to us, like we saw it born, essentially, in the sky, and it's, it's uh, millions, maybe billions of light years away. And so the, the, the idea of light being tra traveled, I am not an astronomer, let me say that up front, okay, but I'm going to take a stab at this, is that the, the star is created and, a, and light begins traveling from that star and works its way all the way to the earth, right? That's the, the premise, essentially. Um, so it, it gets to the earth and we finally see the star being made, being born, 
these many, many years. So astronomers would say that points to the age of the earth because how far that light has to travel to get to us. Now, some solutions to that from a young earth perspective have been, well, God creates the, the light, okay? So the, the essential, the idea is we're DVRing the star, all right? We're watching it on DVR, it's tape delayed, and we can't fast forward, all right? So the idea from a young earth perspective would be God creates the star and extends its light basically close enough to the earth that it would reach us by 1989 or whatever year it was that it finally reached us. Um, so that it would give the appearance of distance and age, but it's actually, uh, he, he extended the light source. Does that make sense? That's kind of the way the two views look at it. Bob, am I close? Am I close? Now, I'm just thrilled legally to be in the earth. <laughs> 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 uh, my... My tiny pea brain, when it tries to wrap its mind around astronomy, is struggling. But that—that's the best I can I can understand. Go ahead, David. Right, right. And I think that that's the young Earth perspective would say, trees with rings. Um, I think I've heard some old Earthers respond to the response. So they make the argument, you respond that way exactly, and then they respond to the response. And astronomers in particular, and I don't know about geologists and things like that, but astronomers typically say, well, it seems like if that were the case, then he's going through a lot of trouble to make the earth appear old. Why can't it just be old? Right? Like, that's kind of their argument. They created fossils. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, like, so, so basically we would be uh, DVRing uh, the birth of a star, but it, we're not actually seeing the birth of a star. It's... It, it, it's kind of fake, as it were. And that's the way at least it comes across. And so um, the question is, would God do that? Um, and I want to cover some of this in a, in a minute as we, when we get to the very end, because uh, I, th- I think there is a way to kind of um, get along, as it were. Um, all right, 20 to th- uh, 23. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning on the fifth day. Now, um, similar to the plants, God creates these sea creatures, is the argument anyway, God creates the sea creatures and the birds according to their kind, but similar to humans, he commands them to populate the earth. So the idea, what's that? Somebody say something? Oh, I thought somebody asked a question, sorry. The idea is uh, he created Adam and Eve lobster and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the sea. (laughs) He created Adam and Eve bass and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the sea. It it is obvious that he didn't create all the bass that would fill all the ponds in all the world or whatever uh, because he tells them, be fruitful and multiply and fill. He gives them the charge of being fruitful and multiply and filling. And so there is some room there, I think, for some of the old earth creationists to say, to back up and say, and then he waited for it to happen. And when he spoke, let the water swarm. Yeah. That, that sounds like plural. I mean, like- they would say, I think, um, that that's the intention. End result. That's the intention, yes. The, technically, the telos. That's where I want you to go is to let the water swarm with everything that swarms and fill it. But he gives them the charge, so it's obvious that it's not filled yet. Now, a young earth, I think, would probably say, well, he just moved on to the next day and then entrusted that it would be filled, right? That they would continue about their purpose. That's a good argument, huh? Sure. Okay. <laughs> so I'm saying there, there's, there's different ways that you can, you can take it. Um, now, 
The last thing here, 24, uh, 1, 24 to 31. Who will read that for me? Yes, 24 to 31, yep. All right, so once again, the six-day age has two sections. All right, we got two sections here where the beasts are made in the, 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 in the first section. And really, the idea here is it, it could have been uh, instantaneous creation. Here's all the beasts that he just speaks into existence, kind of like what you're saying, and just there they, there they all are. Um, or it could have been prolonged. So it could be instantaneous or it could be prolonged. If you look at there, he says, uh, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creeping things, beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. So here they are, kind of like what we saw with the trees. He created those things. That could have been a pair. That could have been uh, a, you know, all the cows that existed at the time, if you wanted to. I, it, not sure. Then he says, and God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground. So we essentially have what amounts to in 25, a repeat of what we just saw in 24. God said, let this happen. And it was so. Then God created them all, right? So that could mean that they fulfilled their purpose that he told them to, told them to do, be fruitful and multiply or whatever. Or it could mean that he then began sprouting up cows everywhere. Uh, it's possible, okay? <laughs> so either one of those, I think, is, is, is a possible reading of that text. Then, it, then uh, man is also created from the ground. So God steps in and creates man from the ground. Now, we don't get much in terms of an explanation in chapter 1 of all the man being created from the ground. We don't get that until chapter 2. But, and we do get it in chapter 2. We don't get that until chapter 2. In chapter 1, it's sort of a, just a, I, here, I'm showing you everything that was made, just sort of a blanket overview of everything that God went through to create these things. Now, in chapter 2, then he kind of goes into a little bit more detail. But man is also created from the ground in order to have dominion over this created order. So man is created specifically, he says, let's create man in our image, and let him have dominion. That, that's, we talked about that a few weeks ago, that when he gives man the privilege of being created in the image of God, certainly part of what that means, I think a large part of what that means is told to us in the text, that like God has had in the previous days of creation, he is now giving to man to have dominion over the earth, to subdue it, to, to train the dog to sit, to do all, all kinds of things, right? to have stewardship over the earth. Now, I think the old earther here is probably going to come in and say, if he has dominion, does he have dominion over just the two cows or does he have dominion over a whole herd of cows? What's happening at this point? It looks like he has dominion over a lot of creation. Now, it's speculative, but it seems like he has dominion over a lot of creation, which would seem to imply some sort of distance between day five and day six, but um, it could be argued either way.
Does that make sense? Questions about that read through chapter one? Okay, so we get to two, one to three, and it says, um, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all of the host in them. And on the seventh day, God finished his, his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. There is a very clear reason um, why uh, Moses, or who we think is writing this, Moses is using a week. He sets forth a pattern for the Hebrew children to follow. Um, We saw this as one of the arguments for the young earth position was that, or or specifically the 24-hour periods of the day's position, was because this is a pattern set forth for the Jewish people that they need to follow. Here is the seven-day work week, and on the last day of the week, on the seventh day, you rest, period, right? Um, So it's clear as to the reason why he's using seven days. It's also clear as the reason why God rests on the seventh day and makes a point of telling the Hebrew people, this is the pattern that I want you to follow. Now, it's possible, back to the blanks here, it's possible that the creation of mankind and the beginning of day seven happen in very close succession. It's very possible that that's the case. That the days, so to speak, the ages, if you will, of a long earth view, um, that the ages get shorter and shorter as time goes on, as we get closer to the end. That there's less to do, right? (laughs) Man's the last creation, and then there's day seven. There's evening and morning. It's possible. Um, Now, in two... 4 to 25. We're not going to read it, but in in chapter 2, the second chapter is really a zoomed-in view of the creation of mankind and the garden that he would dwell in. So what you see in chapter 2, and young earth and old earth are really going to see this almost exactly the same, is that in in chapter 2, as you go through that chapter, you'll see some things that appear in chapter 2 in a different order than they are in chapter 1, where man comes in before the ground had sprouted forth vegetation and all of these kinds of things, and you think, well, what is that about? But it seems as though what he's drawing attention to is the specific area in which the man would dwell, being the land that he would dwell in, whether that's the Garden of Eden or the the actual uh, promised land that the, the Israelites would eventually come in and inherit, that area that he would inhabit had yet to sprout forth vegetation. So not all of the vegetation had kind of made its way in and filled the land yet. God hadn't crafted that exactly the way he wanted it yet, um, but he had put man in the midst of it uh, first. So, um, but that's, I think that's kind of the reason why they're a little bit out of order. Now, as far as the read-through of Genesis 1 and 2, do you understand the way an old earth creationist is thinking? Questions on that? Does it make, make sense? I'm not asking whether you agree with it or not. I'm not asking for that, but does it make sense? You understand where, you, where they're going with it. Now, how for this can sometimes be a very contentious issue <laughs> where people can debate this somewhat hotly. And so then comes the question as a church, how can we be charitable to people that don't see eye to eye with us on our reading of Scripture? I think what you can see, hopefully, is that at least when you go through the text of Scripture, they're actually reading the words of Scripture and they're actually interpreting those. They're interpreting them differently than you are. But they're, they're actually working with the words that are in the text. They're not just saying, well, come on, that's fairy tales. You can't just read that. They're actually working with the text that's here and they're interpreting it a little bit different. But I think one of the assaults that's often levied towards an old earth creationist is, uh, well, you're just bowing down to science, right? You're just, you're just giving in to the kind of the scientific worldview. And I think the response that comes from the progressive creationists is that God created this world and the scriptures. He created this world. He gave us this world. He also gave us the scriptures, And both of them are telling the same story. So in the end, what that means is, if all facts were known, let's say the 
the shroud was pulled back, the black cost was pulled back, and we knew every fact there was to know. And we found out, well, the earth is 13.7 billion years old. They're saying the scriptures would allow for that. If we find out the earth is 6,000 years old, scriptures would allow for that. God gave us both the earth and the scriptures. And they're telling the same story. Both of these are given by God. And so the, the kind of the, the, by the way, this is called the concordist view. The concordist view, C-O-N-C-O-R-D-I-S-T, concordist view. Um, essentially what they're saying is, yeah, almost 100% of scientists agree that the age of the earth is old. So I think scripture would more than accommodate that. That's basically what they're saying. Um, now, on a young earth perspective, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that essentially there is kind of saying they're wrong. When they say it's 13.7, that, ignore that, it, they're wrong. It's, it's young. And the evolutionist on the other side is saying the Bible's wrong. It has no word here at all. This is science. We know that it's fact. The Bible has nothing to say here. This view is kind of taking a middle position and going, actually, both of these are given by God, and I'm pretty sure they're all going to tell the same thing. So we got to figure out what that is. If we all test the soil or whatever we got to test and we find out that it's really old, then I think Scripture is going to accommodate that. Does that make sense? It's kind of where they're coming from. Um, second thing here is... Uh, the text of Genesis, I think, I hope that you can see as you read through, the text of Genesis can still make sense even with an old world view. The text of Genesis can still make sense even with an old world view. So it's not as though they're coming in and taking the text of Genesis and just running roughshod over it and abusing it left and right. They are taking the word seriously, and though they do interpret them differently than some of us in this room, I think it still merits our consideration. And I think, honestly, in the end, um, one thing that must be restored to the church because it's not in the world is civil discourse. <laughs> My goodness. As we look at the world around us, it's burning. <laughs> I mean, I'm one of those with you, Shannon, or I can't remember if it was Betty or who, was I watch a good bit of news as well, and sometimes I cannot help but feel a little bit of turmoil inside and, and a little bit of panic sometimes. And one thing that seems to have been lost is the ability to just sit down at a table with somebody that I disagree with and discuss civilly without sending them to hell, Right? Now, there's some things as we've, we're kind of discovering as we go through the knowledge of God, what my intention is, is to basically set the fence post for us. It's to say, these things are the orthodox positions that have always been believed everywhere, always, and by all, and we can never let those go. But inside the yard that those fence posts are around, inside that yard, there's room for debate. There's room for disagreement. Does that make sense? Any questions? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it and it is possible that I I hear more of the arguments than than some of you may. That's possible. Um, the argument has been going on for two thousand years as to what 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 exactly Genesis is telling us. Genesis one and two in particular is telling us. Yeah. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Yeah. It and it really does get it really does get very hot. The debate really does get very hot sometimes. And you know, I think it, one of the reasons I want to do this is because it's 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 one thing to say I hold an old earth position. There's still things within the old earth position that you would have to say are absolutely true. 
God created man uh, from the dust of the earth, right? Uh, God created the, everything out of nothing. Those are things that have everybody, no matter what their view of creation was for 2,000 years, just nailed down, very clear. But even going back to, now, I will say this. Young earth in history is far more popular. Young earth in history is far more popular. But even still, very early on, two, three, four hundreds, we're already seeing people go, you know, instantaneous creation? Genesis 1-1, God created the heavens and the earth, boom, that was it. All of this is now him shaping the land that they're going to live in. Um, There's lots of different views that begin to kind of separate out, even very early on. And so we see a lot of disagreement. And it's just not something that there's ever been consensus on. One of the kind of the litmus tests, it's not perfect, but one of the litmus tests that I typically use is what you see appear in the creeds that people are requiring people to confess before, to be a Christian, basically, those things in the creeds, you'll see a lot of the things that they always agree on in regards to creation appear there. God created the world and everything in it, right? He, he, he created everything. Um, that Christians are required to confess that. It, it wasn't until much later that the, the young earth view became much more, um, cons- I guess, consolidated maybe, or much, much more dogmatic approach. Like, you need to be a young earth, I mean, even just a few hundred years ago. Um, but the problem is, nobody confessed that early before then, right? Nobody confessed that. In order to be a Christian, you didn't have to confess young earth before then. Does that make sense? And so what do we do with people for 1,600 years that didn't have to confess young earth? Do we now have to confess young earth in order to be a Christian? And I think the answer is no to that because history has really shown us that, no, you don't have to confess that to be a Christian. There are certain things about it that you do that that are true. Yeah. Good question, though. Any other things like that? Exodus 20.11, which is, you know, the seventh day, he, or the Lord created the, earth, the world in seven days. Yeah. Yeah, so they would still say that, that days there would mean the same thing that days does in Genesis 1, which is, would be a, an age. He, he created an age. At the same time, though, he's clearly setting forth a pattern for us. So in other words, the way I, the way I think I've best heard it explained is, those are God-sized days, and we live in man-sized days. We're to take six. We're to work six man-sized days and take one man-sized day off. And he worked six God-sized days and took the seventh God-sized day off. I think that's the best way I've heard them explain it. Does that make sense? The question, though. We're going to talk about that in two weeks. <laughs> um, because uh, tovu babohu is, uh, is a... Is a uh, those words, formless and void, is de- highly debatable as to what that exactly means, what the picture of that is. Um, Sailhammer argues that it's a, it's a wilderness, basically a wilderness. That's, that's what it is, same, same idea as a wilderness. But we'll talk about that in a couple weeks. So, yeah. Any other questions like that? I can answer before we go. All right, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for just a time to, to study your word and take it seriously. Um, think about deeper things. Think about things that may challenge us, push us a little bit. Um, challenge our perspectives. Give us questions, things to wrestle with, things to think through. Um, Lord, I pray that uh, whatever is taken away from here is, is true, is right. Um, we want to believe what's right. We want to teach what's right. We want to um, share with others what's right. Um, so, Lord, I pray that you would correct our understanding, give us wisdom and insight as we look into your word, give us illumination there. Pray that as we go, that we wouldn't just bottle this up, but what we would take with us is that which has been believed everywhere, always and by all, and that is that you created everything. You created us in your image, and you created us to worship you. And so I pray that we would deliver that message to the world, that we have sinned and fallen woefully short of your glory. Lord, I pray through that message that we would be able to deliver the gospel and we would see people turn to Christ for even for the first time. 
to repent of their sins.